A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, friends. I'm so excited to tell you about this wonderful product that I've recently discovered. Companies offer to send me products for free to try it out, and I'm always a little resistant because I don't want to take things that I don't need or want. But when Canuda reached out to me, I was intrigued because they were offering me a pillow that had been researched and designed ergonomically by no other than a physical therapist. Woohoo! It has been tested and proven for over 10 years and already loved by more than 2 million customers worldwide. Well, you can add me to that 2 million. I love it. It is the first ever pillow to incorporate physical therapy techniques like cranial sacral, where it relieves neck pain and induces a proper sleep position. You can lie on your back or side. I usually end up on my side and I still wake up feeling great because this quality memory foam supports my skull and the cervical spine. So you don't wake up with those cricks in your neck. I, like so many of you, have struggled to find that perfect pillow that really supports me in different positions. And this is it. You've got to try it. If you've tried a range of products in the past and nothing has seemed to work, try Canuda. And we have a discount. So go to the show notes to get a coupon and get that discount at CanudaUSA.com. I'm in love with this pillow and I can't wait for you to try it. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. We is me and my wonderful favorite co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist extraordinaire. Hey, KB. Hello. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. All right. Why don't you start us off with a question? All right, I will. Our good friend, Jessica, sent me a uh, screenshot of a post that she saw that says, people with and without back pain have the same level of gluteus medius activation. And so this post goes on to say, many people have mistakenly, many people mistakenly believe the gluteal muscles are underactive in people with low back pain, but science has found this is not true. Probably there is no single ideal pattern of muscle recruitment because which muscles have the best leverage to produce force changes with joint angle, load, and individual biomechanical factors like muscle attachment points. There's nothing wrong with strengthening the glutes or any other muscle, but glute activation turns out to be unnecessary. So what should people do with back pain? And so Jessica sent to me, do you and Laura want to discuss this time, uh, this sometime? There has been a lot out there about this recently. And I think where she was probably tying it into is we like to talk about snoozy glutes um, in lit yoga, how we see that a lot. So I'm going to pass it off to you. And what do you think about, first of all, that post and the message that maybe glutes 
don't matter when it re- as it relates to, we'll say back pain in this post, but pain period. Well, this could be a whole podcast as we know. I mean, I think a post like this, its intention is to, I don't know what the intention is, but maybe the intention is to just spark conversation, maybe to be a little, um, I don't want to say inflammatory, but just, you know, it, it is, it, it's kind of a clickbait thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's hard to summarize everything in a, in a short post. And so maybe the intention is to get the conversation going. But whatever the intention is, um, it is not the full picture, as always, you know? And I does back pain equate to weak glutes or do weak glutes equate to back pain? No, it's not that simplistic. However, um, weak glutes, what they are telling us and and yes, or is somebody not using like are their glutes completely paralyzed? No, but are they? These are the biggest muscles in our body, the biggest fucking muscles in our body. Okay, um, so to not have them working well is potentially going to be a very big problem. And pain to me is a low bar. You know, pain is like okay that's when your body really starts to communicate. But there's many other factors. Are you being efficient? Are you compressing joints? Are you, you know, performing optimally? Like, are you able to sprint as fast as you want to? Are you able to run as long as you'd like to? Are you able to stand for long periods of time? Are you able to pick up things off the ground? Like, it's not just pain. Pain is just one thing. But how about, you know, how you feel, how you feel? So, Glutes, statements in glute medius, a smaller muscle. They're three, three glute muscles: glute min, glute medius, glute maximus. Well, we we kind of talk about all of them, but glute medius. If you aren't, many people are not as strong as they need to be there, and that is very important for stabilizing the pelvis. If your pelvis isn't stable, you you're probably going to be moving too much in your lumbar region. Which you know, you talk to enough people, like our like the people we know who years later, decades later, have stenosis, um, you know, all kinds of issues in their low back, then it does make us think about what are some contributing factors. And weak glute muscles or underperforming weak glute glute muscles are absolutely part of that. Absolutely, they're part of that because they are the huge, they're one of the biggest stabilizers for the pelvis. There's 35 plus muscles that attach to the pelvis. The gluteals are the largest ones. And they help it stabilize in various planes. And so when you're, you know, on all fours, when you're on one leg, when you're on both legs, when you're hinging, when you're extending, I mean, they are, they are um, summoned to perform. I just had a private this morning. I can tell you she has low back pain. All right. Her low back pain has a lot to do with instability in the pelvis. Were the glutes the only things we target? Absolutely not. We targeted many other things. But to be reductionist and say glutes aren't, you don't really need to work on glute strengthening because it's not going to, you know, there's no science that has proven that it's connected to low back pain. That's just, you know, we know how research goes. You know, research is one piece of information. It is subjective, but um, we could say we're doing our own research. We just haven't documented it. It's just like you see enough bodies and you see them in action and you see the modern day lifestyle that has led to the position we're in where people are underutilizing their glutes, and then they start using other muscles that are not. I mean, the even the lines of the erector spinae, 
Those are made to pull the, the spine in a, a very specific way. Um, and they are, you know, these parallel muscle groups that run up and down the spine. They are not made to move in various ways. They are not made to stabilize the pelvis. <laughs> you know, um, the gluteal muscles have many fibers that run in a variety of direction, including gluteus max and medius, that are made to help us move in the many ways we're created to move. And if they are not firing um, automatically when we want them to, we're going to recruit some other muscle groups that are that are way less equipped, including the hamstrings. Hamstrings have the same kind of tracking of muscle fibers that the erector spinae do. They are not tracking in ways that involve torque, involve rotation, um, unlike the glute medius and maximus are you know, really helping to stabilize during, if we step, push off, and turn, we need those muscles to be working. If they're not, and you're, and you're overly utilizing the erectors or the hamstrings, those are just examples. There's other ones too. But those are not, they just don't, they don't do the job. So um, we could say a lot more about that. I'd love to hear what you have to add on to that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one, you know, simply stating that it probably is inflammatory. And, you know, a lot of people, we're always looking that, you know, X causes Y. If you do X, Y will occur. And that's, is just never going to be the case with the human body. She or he, whoever this, um, you know, person, this Instagram account, kind of made that point. It's going to be different. It's going to be based on different muscle attachments. You made the point, different planes of motion, how we're moving. We're going to recruit, you know, different muscles. She's specifically, he or she is speaking to gluteus medius, um, which is going to stabilize, you know, more in that frontal plane for the pelvis and the low back. But, you know, to say that it causes back pain, you know, we're never saying that just to your point, but we're looking at the body as a machine and it is silly to, like you said, the glute max is our largest muscle, not to recruit, not to recruit it or not to say that if you recruit it at certain times, you can decrease the strain at the low back where the muscles are very small. They're, they're long, but they kind of braid up the back. They aren't, they aren't this massive muscle group of fibers that can contract together and create a massive amount of force. Um, or even the glute, you know, mead. It's not as large as glute max, but it's still, think of the size of that muscle. It's about like the size of your hand. If you would think about your hand, glute min's more like the size of your fist. Then you got glute max, which is like a, you know, two hands together. You have a muscle that's the size of your hand, like a mitt, versus a muscle that's like a tootsie roll. Or, you know, it's, it's muscle force production. So we need to, yes, it's not correlated to pain per se, but to say it doesn't affect pain. And I don't even know that that person was saying that, but that's the message that's being sent. So that's Jessica sends it to us saying, what do you think about that? Because that's the message she's getting. The message she is receiving from posts like that is that gluteal strength doesn't matter for back pain which is erroneous. It is detrimental to the message that's being sent and unfortunate because it does matter, but it's not the only thing that matters to your point. Hamstrings for bending over and coming up, you want to use those big muscles 
rather than those little muscles. You want to use your glute max to move the pelvis in space. They're not going to be, you know, controlling the pelvis by way of those micro adjustments when we're walking and just functioning in daily life. But if I'm outside picking up sticks in the backyard, I want to sit back into my hips, use my hamstrings, use my glutes and not use my back in order to prevent an episode of pain. We know by the time you get to pain, you've been screwing up for a long time. You've been usually doing something wrong for a long time. By wrong, I mean less optimal. Uh, So the body starts to break down as a result of it. Now you have your instances where something tears uh, or you have an, an, uh, uh, an accident, which is completely different. But usually stuff is chronic and it's built up. It's like a snowball that gradually grows. And and so by the time you're in pain, if you could have started using your glutes, using had strong hips by way, and hips are glute med, glute men, our rotators, had a strong core, our proximal stabilizers, you never would have gotten to pain in the first place. So to say or to send the message that the science says it doesn't matter is just is wrong and misleading um, it, because it does matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's simple physics. Yeah, you can't, physics. physics doesn't lie. No, and it's, and it's, neuro, you know, it's neurological. It's neuromotor coordination. If you are not using your glutes and your body is smart, it'll figure a different way, right? But then that, the brain really will start to go into that habit of using that other route to fire. So for instance, if I'm sitting all day and I get up and I feel really contracted in the front, I'll still find a way to get vertical, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing it in the most effective way. And then, but my brain will start to choose that over and over again because that's, that's what I've done. It becomes a habit. So it's, it's multifactorial. It isn't as simple as fire your glutes. You won't have low back pain. It's, coordinate what need, what should be best uh, acti- activating based on, again, these levers, these the, the kinematics of it, physics. And um, you just, all you have to do, again, is look at these muscles and the way they're running and it's, and, and the massive amount of uh, area they cover. And you know that they're, they're really significant. And PS, when you, when you activate your glute max, you are automatically getting a uh, neural connection into your transverse abdominals. So you're getting that, that hug stability that we want in the pelvis. So the lumbar spine isn't burdened, you know, to move. Like if your pelvis is more stable, you're going to move better in your hips. You're going to, you know, you're going to be able to discern between moving in the hips and moving in the lumbar spine. And that could contribute to injury, pain, ache over time. Um, along with many other things, but it is very significant for functional movement to, to work your glutes. Nobody's going to tell me otherwise. <laughs> um, but you know, it's people like to be controversial. We talked about this on a, a couple podcasts ago. But that you know, there are uh, there was a great actually meme, and it was about different PTs and what they're like. If you have low back pain, there are PTs who are going to give you massage. There are PTs who are going to do ultrasound. There are PTs who are going to do strength training. There are PT, you know, so it's like all of it, we should be able to, to look at all of it and say, these are all contributing to you being, feeling better. 
And um, I'm not one to be like, oh, this one's wrong and this one's wrong. I don't, I think it's wrong when you call out something being wrong. If it's working for many, many people, right? So um, I'm much more like broad stroke, like what's going to be the best for taking care of this wonderful engine that we have? All right. Totally. We could talk about glutes a lot. Okay. Here's another deep dive that has a lot of uh, controversy. Not, not controversy, but different opinions. This is from Amy. Um, I don't know Amy's last name. She says, can you talk about breathing during the abdominal series in general? Some concepts that swim around in my head are how to address students who may struggle to breathe when pulling the core down. And as we hold the core in, are we still allowing a slight belly lift resulting from the pressure increase in the abdominal cavity caused by the the descending diaphragm? Otherwise, doesn't that pressure put into the pelvic floor potentially too much for people with pelvic floor issues, weak or hypertonic? Maybe my understanding is wrong all around. Thank you. And so excited to start classes. She's about to do our teacher training. Amy, you are bringing up a great um, question. And it's, I think, again, this is very reductionist. People think that if you pull, engage your abdominals, you are somehow putting extra pressure on your pelvic floor or not allowing the diaphragm to move. Let's first say the diaphragm descending is so micro amount. It's not like it drops down, all right? It's really more pressure change than a lot of excursion in the diaphragm. However, if you are rounded a lot or push your rib cage forward, to me, that has a much bigger impact on your diaphragm than whether you're using your abdominals. So let's just say posture has a much bigger effect on your diaphragm and its ability to move than whether you're using your abdominals or not. Okay, so that's the first thing. So if you're really jutting your ribs out or you're closing them off, you're going to affect your breathing. Uh, The thing that's misunderstood is that people think that using your abdominals is increasing a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor and that causes problems. And that would be the case if you are sucking your belly in and not using the entire webbing of the abdominals like we do in um, in lit to create what we call a 360 type of breathing. Now, when we do our abdominals in the beginning, what we're doing is, I was explaining this to my private this morning, is like when something needs more strength because it's usually underdeveloped and most people's abdominals are undeveloped, especially the stabilizers, we need to soak them. Like we're not just like doing a little dripping. So we need to soak them so the brain mapping in that area is really heated. So the reason we do the abdominals the way we do them with retention to really soak in the stabilizers, the transverse, the internal obliques, getting into some obliques, and then of course rectus abdominis is involved. So I just listed the four abdominal muscles, but um, it's not as significant for us because it's just going to be firing anyway. Anytime you flex your trunk, you're going to be firing it. What we're really getting into is the rhythmic, the rhythmic breathing pattern that we want to then utilize in our class when we start in bigger movement patterns. How we are moving, we're breathing, we're not holding the breath. We might be retaining the breath through transitions because that's a stabilizing action. The breath and the core work together and they work really well together if we know how to use them together. So people will reduce this idea of, oh, you shouldn't pull the belly in, and they let your belly push out. 
That is actually worse, okay? Pushing your belly out is going to create pressure in your lumbar spine. It's super ineffective. It isolates the breath to your belly. I mean, try it. You can inhale and exhale, and it's really hard to get it up into your chest. It's very hard to get into the rib cage versus having tone in the abdominals to siphon the breath up and to bring it around into the entire circumference of the rib cage, which is called a 360 breath. It's much better for uh, getting a, a robust breath, but also including some of the protective quality of the deep abdominals to stabilize the spine as you're breathing. If you're breathing and your rib cage is flaring out, which it often does with the belly breath, you're, you're destabilizing your center. We don't say suck the belly in because then you're, a lot of people do that with the rectus and they just kind of close down their breath completely. And that can add pressure into the pelvic floor like you were mentioning. But it's not coming from a tone of the abdominals in a very nice, organized way. That's coming from somebody probably not standing uh, very well or sitting very well overusing their head. You know, you see somebody doing a lot of those crunches. We don't use the term crunch because of that concept. That's a lot of superficial muscles. And that has, I think, much more of an impact in changing um, that internal pressure um, inside the abdominal cavity. Do you have any, I mean, I could add a lot more to it, but I I think you know what I'm saying here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, um, everything you said is absolutely on point. Um, and, and not losing fact of the, or not losing sight of the fact yeah. of the fact that we're talking about breath here and we're talking about lung capacity. Yes. We're talking about how that impacts pelvic floor, how that impacts core stability. But in, in order to take a deep breath, the lungs must expand. And that's the 360 degree idea. If we are only breathing in our belly, we're not expanding in the in the intercostals, in the ribs, your lungs cannot get bigger. You cannot get a bigger breath. So, and we need to look at this outside of fitness. We need to look at this outside of pelvic health. We need to look at this in the broader picture of cardiovascular health and aging and what we need to be able to do as we age. And that is maintain mobility in our rib cage, in our thoracic spine, stability in our spine as well. Um, and that, that worrying so much to the reductionist point of view where, oh my God, my pelvic floor might be affected. Oh my God, am I using my diaphragm? Oh my, People get trapped in that minutia mm-hmm. as opposed to really thinking about, we're just talking about a, a, a tone, like you said, of the abdomen that doesn't mean tight. Tight and tone are different. Tone indicates we still have an eccentric contraction and a concentric contraction. So there is still movement occurring in that 360 degree method pattern where we can allow the ribs and the, and the lungs still to expand. So as we age, we are better able to breathe as our tissues. So our tissues do not lose their pliability. And no, we're not saying keep your stomach sucked in and only breathe in your chest or keep your stomach sucked in so you look skinnier. No, it is, it's quite, it's actually an intricate process to learn how to breathe well. And we can't forget about that. People who are really good breathers have worked their butt off for it. You know, learning how to 
move the pelvis independent of the breath. I can't tell you the number of people that, that can't move their pelvis or their low back without breathing because they are disconnected in that way. So it's really a step-by-step process where you learn to move the pelvis independent. Then you learn to contract the transversus abdominis, your obliques. Then you learn to expand in the breath coming up. So it's not just uh, this or that. Um, And I do think that to your point, when we talk about the way we teach or why we start with abs in the reset is I love that soaking thought, you know, just like physical therapy. I don't send somebody out there to do three sets of 20 low weight external rotation for their rotator cuff because I'm trying to just strengthen that muscle. No, I'm trying to heat it up. I'm trying to get that brain mapping going. So then in function, I know how to use it later. Exactly. We're waking up. We are waking up the core so then we can call upon it in our practice. We can call upon it in life. We can call upon it in function and we don't have to think so much about it. I was just had a private this morning with our dear friend, Julie, and the trend, the change I've seen in her in one year and her ability to now control her pelvis and her core, she's super flexible, super strong gymnast, but had absolutely a year ago zero connection to core, despite being able to do all of this unbelievable gym, you know, she was, I mean, a high level gymnast, an incredible yogi to watch her now. It was the thing of beauty. I kept telling her, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I got the chills. Maintain that. And she didn't even have to think about it anymore because why she was connected brain to body and still breathing. So you know, again, I think this is going back to almost the clickbait. Everybody's saying, oh, don't let your, don't use your belly. Don't use your core. Let your breath do whatever it went. Well, no, we need to be mindful of the way we move so we can use that on our mat and off our mat and train. It's all training the brain. It's all training the breath. It's all training the body. And it takes work. It does. And by the way, uh, you know, we could dive into pelvic floor stuff, but just so people know, you know, the core part of your brain in the motor cortex is is large, you know, and by working the core, you are actually helping to make your nervous system more intelligent. And your nervous system, and I don't mean intelligent in terms of just smart, it's like knowing when it needs to ramp up versus down. Dysregulated nervous system is highly correlated with pelvic floor dysfunction much more than whether you're using your abdominals or not. It's if you are somebody who is a gripper, a grinder, a you're doing that in your jaw, you're doing it in your pelvic floor, right? That your nervous system is dysregulated and you need to learn how to regulate it. Well, you can do that with core work. Don't stay away from core work. Core work will help you. I've seen this with people who were majorly hypertonic in their pelvic floor. That doesn't mean they're strong, by the way. It just means that they don't know how to disengage it. Like it's dysregulated. Working abdominals, working the glutes, working the surrounding stabilizing muscles, that helped tremendously regulate the nervous system. So it knew like, oh, I don't need to like grip down there. Like I'm gripping my, you know, like I got to go to the bathroom all the time. 
I can just let that be, even though I'm have a readiness in my muscle, you know, muscles to fire. I don't, they don't have to be, you know, clinching. So when you hear about like, oh, this could lead to pelvic floor issues, pelvic floor issues are much more complex than that. It is a nervous system thing. And weak pelvic floor people absolutely need this type of work because they are maybe not just dysregulated, but like disconnected, like you were talking about with this in the brain, they just not knowing how to go down. And the pelvic floor is the bottom part of the core container. So all of this stuff will help. So um, it is complex, doesn't have to be complicated, and it certainly shouldn't be reductionist. Um, so use work your core. It will help your breathing and it will help uh, your pelvic floor and your nervous system as well. Well, that's all of two large questions today, but boy, were they fun to dive into topics that we love. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Laura. Love you. Love you. And as always, we are pulling for you. 